One of the great gifts of being a priest at a parish such as this is the grace of going to the school. We have a K through eight, we have a giant preschool, the downtown church location. And every week we visit all the grades, but Monsignor, Father Claydar, and myself are each assigned a grade in junior high that we teach every single week throughout the entire year. My grade is seventh. So what I've been doing with them these last few weeks is just taking them through some of the Sunday readings. What we heard last Sunday, the first reading from Noah, it's always on the first Sunday of Lent to remind us of our baptism, symbolized with the flood, right? And that we're brought into the ark, which is symbolic of the church. And sometimes, just like the ark, just like the boat that the apostles go on in the scriptures, uh, storms come. The worst thing to do is to look and stare at the storm, to focus on that, and to forget to focus on Jesus. And this week, the first reading, we hear about the great sacrifice of Isaac. God asking Abraham to lead him up a mountain, carrying the own instrument for his death, the wood on his back. But it's all a test, right? To see if Abraham is faithful. He truly loves the Lord. But then at the other end of our readings today in the gospel, we have the transfiguration. And at first glance, this is kind of like, okay, you know, sacrifice in the Old Testament, and then we got transfiguration in the New Testament. It might not make a lot of sense, but at further reading, further insights, I think it really does, especially when put in, put in the perspective of the season of Lent. So you see mountains, hills, we could probably call them in our culture, for ancient peoples were holy places. It was the place where you went to meet God. You could think of Moses going up the mountain to, to reach the Ten Commandments, Abraham going up with the son Isaac to sacrifice him. It was literally, physically, the place close to the skies, to the heavens where God dwelled. Even the temple in Jerusalem, it was so big in itself that it was considered a mountain. Noah, during the flood, eventually he found land, but it was still in the midst of the flood. So what did he probably find? An island, which was the top of a mountain, the Lord's rescue for him. But that's not just the case for the Old Testament. It's also the case for the New, right? How many times did Jesus go up on the hill and perform these amazing miracles, like the feeding of the 5,000, going up on the mountain of Beatitudes, proclaiming what the Beatitudes are to love our neighbor. But it's not always sunshine and roses. We know that, right? Christian life is not an easy one. Jesus often slips away to pray when he's stressed out, when he's just bogged down by the demands, when he's about to endure his own passion. Many weeks ago, perhaps you'll remember, we went through Luke chapter 4, where Jesus goes back to his hometown in the north, Nazareth, uh, far, much farther north of Jerusalem, and he goes into the synagogue, he opens the scrolls, and he reads from one of the prophets, basically saying, I'm here, I'm the Messiah. And people are flabbergasted, so much so that the scriptures tell us that they were furious. So angry were they at what Jesus was claiming to be, that they drove him out of the town and up a mini mountain, a hill, on the other side of the town. What's amazing, you can still visit these places today, the synagogue, it's now a Catholic church, um, and it's called the precipice, the mountain where they were gonna throw Jesus off of, where Nazareth was built by. Uh, to go from one to the other is a 40 minute walk. In other words, these people were that angry at Jesus that they shoved him, carried him, I don't know how they did it, out of the town for 40 minutes all to throw him off of a cliff because he was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be the Messiah. And they were like, who is this? 
This is the son of Joseph, the carpenter. It's a raw tension, but the fascinating thing about it all, though, is all these hills, Abraham going up, right? Going up this hill to throw him off. When you're on top of this hill in Nazareth, they're called the precipice, on the other side of the valley, about a three-hour walk, is the Mount of the Transfiguration, this Mount Tabor, which we hear of today. So on one mountain, and one gospel, one scripture passage, you have the raw humanity of Jesus. People don't believe that he's God. And just on the other side of the valley, where he goes up with his apostles, a few of them, where Moses and Elijah appear, he transfigures. And who he really is, is revealed. Transfigured before them, clothes become dazzling white. A cloud comes and a voice speaks out. This is my beloved son. I am pleased with him. Listen to him. Apostles are freaking out so much. They're like, we got to build some tents. Who brought the tent? This is amazing. (laughs) But all of these things, uh, they took place on mountains. So this tension between Christ's humanity and his divinity, it's not just a thing that took place in time in the past, in history. It's still a tension that plays out in the hearts of God's children today, in our own hearts. So it's good to ask ourselves often, who is Jesus to us? Is he kind of just like this nice guy, this hippie? He invented pretty much a new moral code. Is he a judge? Is he an accidental founder of this thing called Christianity? Right? Do the things that the church teaches today, are they actually what Jesus taught back then? Is he a lunatic? Is he a liar? Or is he the Son of God? The second person of the Trinity, God made man, who was madly in love with us. So much so that he suffered and died for us because of us to save us. It's a great tension, right? Those two things, those two mountains, so to speak. Abraham dealt with it. The apostles dealt with it. All over scripture, like John 6, like Jesus saying, this is my body, this is my flesh. People don't believe and they go away sad. They don't believe him. So brothers and sisters, we need to answer this question, who is Jesus to us? There is no middle way. The Lord says, I will spit the lukewarm out. The answer is yes or no. And how we answer what we believe has eternal consequences. Consequences now and in eternity. But I think the greatest, most beautiful, most powerful, most imminent, consequence at all, of all, is the last hill that I'll talk about today. So we have Abraham, we have the precipice, we have Tabor, the transfiguration, and we have Calvary, right? Which is what the transfiguration is preparing the apostles for, for his death. Calvary, where the ultimate sacrifice was paid, the sacrifice that began, began at the Last Supper, in which we still relive today. The holy sacrifice of the Mass, what we're doing right now, is a reliving of that sacrifice, as if we are there, witnessing Christ's death upon the cross. So we could even ask ourselves, how many people 2,000 years ago were there, physically present, at the death of Jesus on Calvary? How many believed that he was just a man, that he was just human, at best, uh, a mistrialed man? But then how many believed that he was God, that he was completing the sacrifice that he begun at the Last Supper? Probably not many, right? And I think it's the same case today, whether it's within the church or out of the church. But if we just break down those words of where he started that sacrifice at the Last Supper, which we remember here, which we do again in a real way, 
the words he uses, he says, take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, this is my blood, and do this in remembrance of me. So the word he uses for eat, it's not just any way, it's not like you're eating tacos. He uses the word trogain in Greek, which means to gnaw, as if you're gnawing on flesh. And guess what word he uses for his body? Because he just uses the word food, he uses the word flesh. A bloody flesh that would be used all over in the Old Testament for sacrifices. And then finally, when he says, do this in remembrance of me, we're remembering that right now. And it's not kind of a memory of like, oh man, I remember when I was growing up, my grandma made these fantastic cookies, smelled so good, I wish I could still participate and have some of those today. Now this is a remembering as if we were there, as if it is happening right before our eyes and we are actively participating in it. So brothers and sisters, you could even look at the steps of these altar. These steps aren't just here, as like a stage so you could see me, right? Uh, They're here to symbolize Calvary. When the priest ascends these steps, just like Christ, he is ascending the mountain of Calvary to offer the ultimate sacrifice. And he doesn't leave until the sacrifice is complete. It symbolizes in a real way. So today, during these words of consecration upon this altar, when the Eucharist is made real in front of us, whether you believe it or not, just through this mystery of our faith and the sacrament, challenge yourself to ask who is Jesus to you? This eternal tension of humanity and divinity. And believe that you are at Calvary. There is a man in front of you called Jesus and he wishes to love you and to make you like himself.